Uno, dos, tres. Hola. Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, May 12th, 2013. The message for this morning is Behold Your Mother by Pastor Frank Clausen, based on John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers here today. It's a great privilege for me to be asked to share God's word with you. I asked Pastor Ryan if there was a um, series that was going on, a scripture that he would have me preach on, but he told me that last Sunday, Pastor Isaac would be finishing a series. Next Sunday, he will be beginning a new series, and here we are on Mother's Day, and I'm free to choose whatever text the Lord places on my heart. And so, about 10 days ago, I shared with him that um, John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, we've heard them read in such a wonderful way, thank you so much, um, was, was where my heart is on Mother's Day. And then Riyad and I had the opportunity of coming here last Sunday, and after the service, it just just overwhelmed me how, how that series is not over yet, how that's continuing. And I hope that at the end of today's message, you will agree with me that the Good Samaritan we heard about wants to come again today in a somewhat different form. We celebrate Jesus' birth, his life, his passion, death, resurrection. Ascension was on Thursday. I hope many of you did something special to celebrate Ascension, and we will be celebrating Pentecost next Sunday. How exciting, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But today, I'm inviting you to come to the cross. I'm inviting you to be at the cross with Mary, Jesus' mother, to be at the cross with Jesus' mother's sister, with Mary Magdalene, with Salome, the mother of James and John, and, and with John. And, and there's others standing around, and, and I'm standing there. I invite you to, to make this your story today. Yes, Jesus only needed to die once for the sins of the entire world, but sometimes it's so far away. Sometimes these 2,000 years just seem like, like way, way back. But Jesus is here now. And when we want to be with him and, and come to that place, that that so important place of the cross. 
because I will be referring to the fifth commandment on a number of occasions, I'm just going to remind us of what it says. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. So if you hear me quoting the fifth commandment, you'll remember, okay, yeah, that's, that's what he's talking about. When I see myself at the cross and hear Jesus talking to Mary, his mom, and, and John, his beloved disciple, I have some questions. You may have questions. And, and the, the three questions that I have just have to do with, with stuff that I don't understand. Here's the first question. Wouldn't it be logical, Jesus, to just let go? I mean, you're dying. You don't have to do any ministry anymore. We're, we're, we're thankful that you're on the cross. And, you know, there's, there's James and there's Joseph and there's a whole bunch of other guys, your brothers. They'll take care of your mom. Don't worry about little stuff like that. I mean, this, this is a much greater dimension that is going on than little family business. Wouldn't it have been expected that Mary, since she had other sons besides Jesus, would be taken care of by one of her other sons after Jesus' death? Mark 6 gives us the names of Jesus' four brothers. In verse 3 it says, there's James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Four brothers. And each one of them would have been bound by the fifth commandment to take care of their mother. It seems that Jesus was violating the law, the Ten Commandments, by giving his mother into the care of someone other than his brothers, doesn't it? And then I asked myself, well, didn't John still have a mother to take care of? When we look carefully at the synoptics, at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find the names of the other women there. And sure enough, we find the mother of Zebedee's sons at the cross. That's, that's John's mom. John, James and John are the two Zebedee sons. And it seems strange that John's mom would be standing there and her son would now have to take care of another mom. Come on, Jesus, that's not fair. And then we remember Jesus getting really, really upset at Pharisees and teachers of the law for coming up with a tradition that would allow them not to have to take care of their parents. In Mark 7, verses 9 to 13, we read, 
This is Jesus saying, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is korban, is set aside for God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So why would Jesus, who who insists on keeping the commandments, not allow his own brothers to take care of their mother? I believe we must look for the answer in some of Jesus' other teachings to, to allow us to grasp the dimension of what's really going on here. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to me to Mark chapter 3. Jesus has just appointed his 12 disciples. He's doing ministry. In verse 20 we read, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So there's lots of stuff going on here. And in verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Jumping down to verse 31, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. Why outside? Because there were just too many people inside, right? They couldn't get through. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him, to call Jesus. A crowd was sitting around him. We already know that. And they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Okay, Jesus, um, we're going to... Do a commercial break, or everybody's, you know, going to go to the washroom now, or whatever. We're, we're going to let you go outside because um, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And Jesus says, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" Huh? I mean, we know who your mother and brothers are, and you know who they are. Why are you asking this question? And then Jesus looked around at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Isn't the first impression we get of this text that Jesus is disowning his biological family, his own mother and brothers? And surely that's exactly how Mary and her sons would have felt. I mean, this really proves that he's out of his mind. Who would do that? But is this really what Jesus is saying? We recognize that Jesus knew they were coming to get him in order to forcibly take him back home and stop him from saying all these things that were upsetting the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and and the rabbis and whoever else, by asking the rhetorical question, 
who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus, however, was redefining the family that he chose to be a part of. Let me repeat that again. By asking the question, who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus is redefining, introducing his redefinition of the family he chose to be a part of. And his answer is, his definition of his family is, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Notice that Jesus includes the women who were sitting in the house as his sisters. Here, take a look around. Those who are doing the will of God are my brother. There's a couple of guys sitting there. More than 12. The house is crowded. And sister. And sister. He does not leave out the ladies sitting there. And mother. Jesus, however, also makes it clear that he only considers those to be his brothers, sisters, and mothers that do the will of God. So he's not saying automatically just because you're sitting here, you are my brother, sister, and mother. But if you are doing the will of God, you are. Quite obviously, Jesus is placing the spiritual family of God higher than the biological family of parents and children. Does that help us answer some of the questions we raised about Jesus handing over his mother to someone that was not her son? I think so. And so I'm going to go back to those three questions just now and see how that works out. The first question was, wouldn't it have been expected that Mary, since she had other sons besides Jesus, would be taken care of by one of those sons after Jesus' death? Now the story of Jesus' mother and brothers wanting to pick up Jesus that we just read in Mark chapter 3 also appears in Matthew and Luke. And it's right before the parables of the kingdom. In Luke, it's just after the first parables. And that indicates to us that this episode must have been either early or in the middle of Jesus' ministry. In John 7, verse 5, we have another indication. We read that even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. And now, John 7, because the Gospel of John relates Jesus' ministry to a number of feasts that Jesus went to in Jerusalem, that episode was likely only six months before his crucifixion. So six months before Jesus died on the cross, his brothers still didn't believe in him. And in Acts 1, verse 14, moving along to, um, to 
to post-resurrection and post-ascension. This is just before Pentecost. So sometime between Jesus going up to heaven and, um, and him uh, bringing the Holy Spirit, we know that Jesus' brothers accepted him as Lord and Savior because we're told that they're also together with the disciples. So since Jesus hands over his mother into the care of the disciple he loved, it would seem that Jesus' half-brothers had not yet joined the family of God in becoming his spiritual brothers. This means that James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon would have been able to take care of Mary's physical and emotional needs, but not her spiritual needs. On the other hand, John, as part of Jesus' spiritual family, as part of those who do the will of God, was able to take care of Mary's spiritual needs and then was also asked to take care of Mary's physical and emotional needs. Second question, didn't John still have a mother to take care of? Yes, both John and his brother James still had their mother to take care of. The easy answer then would be to say that Jesus implied that James, possibly the older of the two, would take care of their mother, and John, the younger, would now get a new mother. And we've got one mother for each of the boys. While not discounting this possibility as part of God's wonderful provision, I think we need to add another of Jesus' teaching to this answer. In all three synoptics, the story of the rich young ruler coming to Jesus and leaving because he is not willing to sell everything he has ends with Peter saying to Jesus, we have left everything we had in order to come and follow you. And remember what Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus, hanging on the cross, insists on this new reality of the kingdom. He won't allow his followers to go back to their default biological family after they had committed themselves to doing the will of God and becoming part of the spiritual family of God. Once we become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God, we need to recognize that we now have many new mothers in the spiritual family. We don't know at what point Mary joined the other women from Galilee 
who was supporting who were supporting Jesus's ministry. It seems clear to me however that Mary at some point chose to leave the comfortable life her sons may have been able to offer her from the carpentry business and join the other women supporting Jesus in his ministry roaming around, supporting the ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, Mary, too, had many sisters and brothers and mothers in her spiritual family. The third question Didn't Jesus himself criticize the Pharisees and teachers of the law for setting up a tradition to sidestep the fifth commandment by saying, oh, no, 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 this money is is reserved for God, so you can't have it. We know that Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother still needs to be obeyed. But Jesus adds another commandment. As a matter of fact, he says himself that this is a new commandment in John 13:33. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus recognizes individual needs and responds in love. He knows that his mother, who is likely already a widow, will be shunned by society as the mother of an executed criminal. I don't think we realize the impact of that. Our society is not that close-knit. But in Middle Eastern society, you're defined by family. You're defined by the kids you have. The kids are defined by the parents they have. And if your son is an executed criminal, whoa, that puts a black mark on the entire family. That's what we're dealing with here on the cross. Mary now has all of that to bear in society. And so Jesus does not expect John to disown his mother, but he does know that his mother will need some extra care and protection. She's going to be spit at. Probably some people will throw rocks. Because she didn't do her job in raising her son the way he should have been raised. She shouldn't have stayed outside when she was coming to get Jesus. She should have went inside and dragged him out by one of the ears. That's what a real mother should have done. And she would have been spared this shame. But no, we know that there's something else going on here. And that Jesus does not want to expose his mother 
to that. And so he says, John, I got a job for you. I want you to take care of my mom. Okay, we don't live in that world anymore. Isn't that nice? You may say, okay, okay, I got your point, Frank. Jesus took care of his mother at the cross, and I'm taking my mother out to lunch today, so let's all go home and, and do our thing, right? But friends, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Now that Mary is being taken care of by John, what about the other women at the cross? And the easy answer is, well, Mary's sister Salome was married to Zebedee and they had two sons, so she was taken care of. The other Mary's husband was Clopas and she was the mother of James the Younger and Joseph, so she was taken care of. And Mary Magdalene, well, we don't really know, but since Jesus didn't do anything for her, she must have been taken care of too. But then I stumbled across some words in Luke's account that I had somehow always overlooked until now. Luke 23:48 tells us that after Jesus died, all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. And we think... Okay, everyone went home. But the very next verse, Luke writes, but all those who knew him, who knew Jesus, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these places. No, not everybody left. That definitely sounds like more people than only the four women and the Apostle John. And then just a little later, when the women come to the empty tomb on Easter morning, the angels say, remember how he told you. Okay, now this is what Jesus told the women. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they, the women, remembered Jesus' words. Now, I had always thought that those three predictions of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection were spoken to his 12 disciples. Wasn't that what you thought? And here, the women remembered Jesus saying that. And so, they had been there too. They were part of that disciple group that Jesus shared that, those predictions with. Now the women come back from the tomb and we read in Luke 24, 9, they told these things to the eleven and to all the others. Huh? I was, I was always so sure. I don't know if they delete this, all the others in the children's Bible or whatever. But I was always so sure that there's only 11 disciples. We know that, that uh, Judas hanged himself, right? And now these women come back and they tell them to, to the 11 disciples and everyone else? Like, who is this everyone else? Then 
the disciples, two of them, are on their way to Emmaus. Remember? Luke 24. In addition, and this is what they tell Jesus. This is what these two disciples tell Jesus. In addition, some of our women, notice they say our women. They, they don't say like those ladies or, or something like that. No, they say our women. Some of, those, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body and then they came and told us, oh, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So these two disciples were there as well when the ladies came back from the tomb. And after Jesus revealed himself to these wonderful disciples at Emmaus by thanking God for the bread and breaking the bread, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled there. Those with them obviously included the women who had been to the grave and others. By now you'll remember that 40 days later, when Jesus' disciples returned from Christ's ascension on the Mount of Olives, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And if you've ever wondered, you might not ask the same questions that I do, but if you've ever wondered about who some of those 72 disciples may have been that Luke tells us about in chapter 10, you might be interested to know that there are indications suggesting that a number of them were likely women. What could all of this mean for us today? I believe that in the family of God, every woman needs to be respected and treated in a special way Treated like a mother. If only those women in our congregation here today get special treatment whose children happen to be in Vancouver, what will happen to those whose children don't happen to be in the Lower Mainland? What about the, the women who were never able to have children? Do they get neglected on Mother's Day because they're not mothers? How about single women? Or single mothers who, yeah, there's something really bad about that. Our baby bottle change goes to single moms. Wow. Diapers. Because in most cases they can't even pay for diapers. Are we being the church of Jesus Christ if we continually retreat back into our little safe biological families? Of course, that doesn't relieve us of our duties to our biological mother. We need to ask ourselves, are we treating our mother with 
honor and respect the way Jesus wants us to? Are we truly obeying the fifth commandment? My mother passed away 13 years ago, so perhaps I need to go and put some flowers on her grave. But now I realize that there are women out here, women out there in my life, that Jesus is also asking me to take care of. As a matter of fact, it hasn't been that long ago that a neglected mother came into my life. And when this, when this truth of Jesus' adopt a mother theology, and somebody's got to do something about this, maybe that's your job, Isaac, I don't know. Jesus' theology of adopt a mother, what does that mean? When that hit me, I talked it over with Riyadh and we prayed about it and it became so clear to us that Jesus was calling us to adopt a mom. Riyadh's mom is in Damascus. All we could do is call her up and wish her a happy Mother's Day. We couldn't even send her flowers because there's no planes going in there. But yes, in the family of God right here, we have a mother that we've adopted and we've never regretted it. Pastor Isaac made it very clear to us last Sunday that our Heavenly Father calls us to become a neighbor to people in need. We're not automatically a neighbor just because somebody's lying in a ditch. doesn't make him my neighbor. I have to become a neighbor in serving him. We're all called to be good Samaritans and follow Jesus' example, who was the ultimate good Samaritans whenever that occasion arises. But today, I think, the message that Jesus has for us is that there are times when some kind of practical help is necessary and there are times when we need to be open to relationships that would seem illogical in our society, illogical from our human standpoint but where Jesus is saying, that person I've put in your life for a reason. I want you to take that needy person and not just give her a handshake, not just say, I'm praying for you, but actually adopt that individual. If we are also standing at the foot of Jesus' cross today, maybe John is using that term, beloved disciple, so that we can place ourselves there. Are you a beloved disciple of Jesus? 
I want to be a beloved disciple of Jesus. So that's me. That's me in that story of John 19. I'm standing at the foot of the cross. And these are Jesus' mothers. They don't need to have a certain age. They don't even need to have kids. But they need to have responsible children that adopt them. I believe that everyone, believers and unbelievers, are called to be good Samaritans. We, we need lots of those people. But I believe that those who are followers of Jesus, those who believe themselves to be disciples of Jesus, need to be open to hearing Christ speak to us when he says, Behold your mother. Behold your son. If you've heard Jesus speaking to you, please follow through. Please make this a Mother's Day that is a start of something new. He knows why he's chosen you to be that child to this mother or this mother to that child. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for speaking to us today. Forgive us where we have not honored our mothers as we should have. We want to obey your commands and understand what this means as followers of Jesus. Open our eyes, hearts, and minds to see mothers in our lives that you are asking us to adopt. Give us the strength to be obedient, to do whatever it is that you are asking us to do or how it is you want us to change our lives. We give you the glory and pray these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.